Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Celia is not here today, but he is improving. So thank you for your prayers. Keep those prayers coming for Dan. I'm Frank Turek filling in for Dan today. And we're going to discuss one of the most difficult problems that any Christian has to deal with. In fact, it's not just Christians that have to deal with this problem. Everybody, regardless of what you believe about God, has to deal with this problem. Even if you're an atheist, or even if you're a Buddhist, a Muslim, a, a Hindu, whatever you are, a New Ager, you still have to deal with this question. Why is there evil? Psalm 86 says, Lord... You are compassionate and gracious. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love and faithfulness. Really? Then why have some of you who are listening to my voice right now buried your own children? Why have some of you heard the word cancer uttered from your doctor's lips? Why have some of you seen your spouses run out on you? Why have some of you been bullied at school? Why have some of you been sexually abused? Maybe you're being sexually abused right now. In fact, all of us have gone through trials. And probably in every case, we asked God to take the trial from us, to spare us from it. And in every case, he has said no. Is it possible that the reason he has said no is because the God that we think we worship actually does not exist? I mean, where was God through all this? Where is God right now if you're in the middle of a crisis? Maybe it's because he doesn't exist. At least that's what some atheists say. In fact, some atheists say even if he does exist, he's evil this God. Richard Dawkins, probably the most famous atheist in the world today, wrote a book called The God Delusion a number of years ago. And here's what he says in the book about how evil the God of the Old Testament is. He said, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. And those are his good qualities. You got to admit that Dawkins has somewhat of a point. If you just take a casual look at the Old Testament, you got to say, wow, there's some crazy stuff going on back there. What's all this business about God killing the Canaanites? How is that a loving God? And by the way, if this God did exist, why would you worship him? Now, ladies and gentlemen, what if your best 
arguments to doubt God show that he actually exists? What if your best arguments to doubt God show that he actually exists? Because I think that's exactly what's going on here. I think that atheists are stealing from God to argue against him. What do I mean by that? I think there are many aspects about reality that would only exist if God existed, yet atheists say that these things show God doesn't exist. In effect, they have to sit in God's lap to slap his face. When they make an argument against God, they're actually assuming God exists in order to make the argument. And one way they do this is through evil. In fact, uh, a number of years ago, I wrote a book called Stealing from God, How Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. And I go through six areas that atheists normally say point to atheism when none of these things would exist unless God existed. And you can remember these areas or these attributes or these, um, these disciplines or these subjects, depending upon how you want to define them, by the acronym CRIMES, C-R-I-M-E-S. Atheists believe that causality, reason, information, morality, evil, and science, crimes, somehow point to atheism. I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that none of these things would exist unless God existed. There would be no such thing as causality, reason, information, morality, evil, or science unless God existed. And the one I want to talk about today is the E in crimes, evil. Because atheists like Richard Dawkins and others, and even sometimes us, when we're in a very difficult situation, we're going, God, this is evil. Why, why are you allowing it to continue? If you're all-powerful and all-good, why don't you just stop it? Why don't you save us from this? So these are good questions. So what I want to do here today is ask the question, if there is a good God, why is there evil? And why does he allow it to exist? And we're going to do this in three steps, ladies and gentlemen. The first question we're going to ask is, does evil disprove God? Because a lot of people think it does. So we're going to deal with that first. Second question, what's the purpose of evil? If it doesn't disprove God, what's its purpose? And the third question is, what's God's solution to evil? If evil doesn't disprove God and God has a purpose for evil, okay, what's his solution? How is he ultimately going to deal with this question of evil or this, this truth that evil exists? So, before I get into this in any detail, let me mention that evil is a problem for the heart and the head. It's not just a head problem, it's also a heart problem. So if you're going through difficulty right now, what I might say in this broadcast here on the American Family Radio Network and our podcast, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, might not resonate with you. If you're in the middle of a trial, you really don't need a philosopher, you need a pastor. Okay, because I'm about to give you the philosophical answer to the problem of evil, of course, with, with, with biblical support. But I am convinced of this, that if you're going through pain, suffering, and difficulty, one of the first steps back to wholeness is for you to intellectually recognize that God does exist, and he has a reason for the evil or pain or suffering you're going through right now, even if you never discover what that reason is this side of eternity. So, let's dive now into the first question. Does evil disprove God? And I think that whenever you try and deal with a big issue like this, you've got to go up to 30,000 feet and get the big picture. Let's, let's look at the evidence that God does exist. And I, 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 can't, I can't 
support any of this right now. We don't have time. I'm just going to list some of the evidence that has me believing that God does exist and many other people believing it too. One is the beginning of the universe. Second, the fine-tuning of the universe. Thirdly, the information found in DNA, which appears to be the product of intelligence. Life itself also also appears to be the product of intelligence. Consciousness and free will, the ability for us to even be conscious and make free will decisions is better explained by theism, by God, than molecules in motion, which is what many atheists believe now. Look, if you're just a molecular machine, if you're just a moist robot, you don't have free will, but we know we do have free will. So that's best explained by intelligence, by someone like God. Uh, Intelligence itself and our ability to reason is better explained by God existing than not. The laws of nature themselves appear to be evidence for God. Where do laws come from? They come from lawgivers. Why are the laws of nature so precise, so fine-tuned? Why are the laws of nature uh, consistent and persistent? You know, everything that the laws of nature govern, physical things, change. But the laws themselves don't change. And if they were slightly different, there'd be no life. This appears to be the product of intelligence as well. Objective morality. The fact that torturing babies for fun is wrong, that murdering people in a holocaust is wrong, that presupposes a standard of right. And if there is no God, there is no standard of right, not an objective one. It's just one person's opinion against another. Also, Old Testament prophecy and the resurrection. I think the evidence for the resurrection is very good. All this points to the existence of God. But what's the biggest argument against God? Evil. So... Let's dive in to the question, does evil disprove God? Right after the break, you're listening to Frank Turek filling in for Dan Celia. The show is called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. We're back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, filling in for Dan Celia in this time slot right now. Continue to pray for Dan. He is improving, so keep praying. Hopefully he'll be back here at this microphone soon. Today we're talking about this question, if there's a good God, why does he allow evil to occur? Maybe it's because God doesn't exist. That's, what, that's, that's a possibility. That's what atheists are saying. But just before the break, I listed, I don't have time to defend it all, but I listed a number of reasons why I think God does exist. And by the way, the, the program we had a couple of days ago, four questions to show that Christianity's true. Uh, we go into a little bit more detail on some of the evidence that God does exist. So you can listen to that podcast or you can just listen to our podcast in general because that's typically what we're doing on this show is we're providing providing evidence that Christianity is true, that God does exist. Jesus did rise from the dead. The Bible's telling the truth. So uh, just check out our podcast in general for many shows on topics like this. So there's a lot of evidence that God does exist. What's the primary evidence he doesn't? Well, many atheists will say the primary evidence is that evil exists. And if there is a good God and he, does, he is all loving and he is all powerful, yet evil exists, it seems to be a contradiction. Is it really a contradiction? Is evil really an argument against God? No, in reality, evil is actually an argument for God. Why? Because objective evil presupposes objective good and objective good requires God. You say, how does that make any sense? Because evil does not exist on its own. Evil exists only as a lack in a good thing. Evil is like cancer. If you take all the cancer out of a good body, you got a better body. What happens if you take all the body out of the cancer? You got nothing. Evil is like rust in a car. 
If you take all the rust out of a car, you've got a better car. What happens if you take all the car out of the rust? You've got a Pinto. No, you've got nothing, right? I mean, if you take all the car out of the rust, there's nothing there. In other words, evil is a parasite in a good thing. It's a privation in a good thing. It doesn't exist on its own. This is, by the way, why God can't be, uh, the ultimate being can't be evil, because evil is a negative attribute. It's not a positive attribute. Even Satan is metaphysically good. What, he has mind, emotion, and will. These are good things. He just uses it for evil. So ultimate reality can't be evil. There can't be an evil God, if, 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 speaking of God being the ultimate being. There can be evil creatures or creatures that do evil, like demons, like us, right? But ultimate reality has to be goodness. In fact, C.S. Lewis realized this. Early on in his life, he was an atheist. He went through World War I. And uh, he came out of World War I thinking there just can't be a good God. There's too much injustice in the world, too much unjustice. And then one day he had an epiphany and he realized that his argument against God didn't work because evil requires good and good requires God. Here's what he said. And this is in mere Christianity, by the way. He said, as an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how would I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Yeah, you see, you wouldn't know what a crooked line was unless you knew what a straight line was. You wouldn't know what unjustice was unless you knew what justice was. You wouldn't know that something was immoral unless you knew what was moral. You wouldn't know that something was not right unless something was right. And this is what Lewis was saying. By the way, tomorrow we'll have Lewis on the podcast. Lewis, he's been dead for 60 years. Well, the closest thing to C.S. Lewis is Max McLean, whose brand new movie is phenomenal. It's called Most Reluctant Convert, uh, the Untold untold Story of C.S. Lewis. We're going to have Max on tomorrow at... uh, at 9 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the American Family Radio Network on this podcast. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. So watch out for that. You want to see that movie, by the way. Go to cslewismovie.com. Great, great movie. You can look at this another way, too. You could say the shadows prove the sunshine. In order to have shadows, you have to have sunshine, right? In other words, in order to have evil, you have to have good. Oh, you can have good without evil. You can have shadows without sunshine. But you can't have evil without good. You can't have shadow. You, 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 you can't have shadows unless there's sunshine. You can have sunshine without shadows. You can have good without evil. But you can't have evil without good. You can't have shadows without sunshine. So if evil exists, and it does, that means God exists. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but it's true. There'd be no such thing as evil unless there was good, and there'd be no such thing as good unless God existed. So evil doesn't disprove God. Evil may prove there's a devil out there, but it can't disprove God. Now, you might be surprised to find that even Richard Dawkins believes that there's no evil unless good exists, unless God exists. In fact, here's what he wrote many years ago. Again, this is the atheist, Richard Dawkins. He said, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt and other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason Uh, to it, nor any justice. There is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. In other words, you're just a molecular machine. So am I. We're moist robots. There's no good. There's no evil. There's no purpose. 
That's true if materialism is true. Of course, there's no way of knowing that's true if materialism is true, because if we're all just molecular machines, we, we couldn't even know that was true. But let's leave that aside. In Dawkins' materialistic worldview, he's right. There's no good. There's no evil. There's no justice or injustice. But you might, you might think, hey, Frank, at the top of this program, you had another quote from, from Dawkins, where Dawkins was claiming the God of the Bible was evil. In fact, right in the middle of that long quote I read earlier, I won't read it again, he says that God is a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. Where's he getting this unjust characterization from? You know where he's getting it from? He's stealing it from God. There would be no such thing as injustice unless there was justice. And so on one hand, Dawkins is trying to say there is no good or evil, no justice or injustice. And yet on the other hand, when he's talking about God, he says God is unjust. Look, you can't have it both ways, okay? If you're going to claim God is unjust, then you have to assume that God exists in order to say that. (laughs) Because he is what we mean by the standard of justice, righteousness. Otherwise, it's just your opinion. So as an atheist, you have no grounds to, to, to judge anything good or bad, right or wrong, ju- just or unjust, because you have no standard outside yourself. And you admit that, Richard Dawkins, when you say that there is no purpose, no evil, and no good, no, no, no justice. We just dance to our DNA. Yet on the other hand, you're trying to cl- claim the God of the Bible is unjust. You can't have it both ways, okay? Now, the truth of the matter is, The existence of evil doesn't indicate the absence of God from the world, but the absence of God from our lives. That's really the the deal here. So evil is not an argument against God. It's an argument for God. You ought to put evil under the list of of reasons to believe in God, not, not to believe in God. So the answer to our first question, does evil disprove God? The answer is no. It actually shows God does exist. Again, that may appear counterintuitive, but it's true. God is the standard of goodness, and the only way you'd know evil if there was a standard of goodness, because it's a, it's, a, it's a lack in goodness. It's a privation in goodness. Okay, so the next question we want to investigate is, what's the purpose of evil then? I mean, if it doesn't disprove God, what purpose does God have for it? A number of years ago, I was at uh, Michigan State University. We quite frequently go to college campuses and present the I don't have enough faith to be an atheist presentation, and then we take questions. And I was giving this presentation at Ohio, at, at, um, at uh, Michigan State, and I knew there was a militant atheist in the audience because he sat through the entire two-hour presentation with his arms folded and a scowl on his face. I mean, he didn't crack a smile once. And I had some pretty good jokes in the presentation. Anyway, as soon as the presentation was over, his hand shot up, and I said... Yes, sir. You know, because I, I was asking for questions. I said, yes, sir. And he said, if there is a good God, why doesn't he stop all the evil in the world? And I said, sir, that is an excellent question. Maybe because if he did, he might start with you and me because we do evil every day. You ever notice that we complain about the problem of evil? We're always complaining about somebody else. We always say, hey, God, why don't you stop him? Or God, why don't you stop her? We never say, God, why don't you stop me? I'm doing evil too. Question, ladies and gentlemen, if God were to stop evil at 1201 or at midnight tonight, would you still be alive at 1201? I know I wouldn't. We do evil every day. Why does God allow evil? Because he allows free will. And we need free will in order to love. The problem is, Free will also opens us 
to the possibility of us using our free will to do evil. But God thought it was better to have a moral world where free creatures could make choices than a robot world, which wouldn't allow moral choices, which wouldn't allow love or wouldn't allow evil either. So he gave us free will to do what we wanted to do with our free will, either to love or to hate. So evil exists because we have free will, which is the only way love could exist. So I explained this there that night at Michigan State. I even showed a short video, which you can see on YouTube. Um, It's a short little video on this called, Is God Good? Just look it up on YouTube. Very good little video put together by my friend Jim Zangmeister, who went to our, uh, our, our seminary, Southern Evangelical Seminary. And by the way, if you want a great place to learn apologetics, theology, and philosophy, go to ses.edu, ses.edu. You can take classes from anywhere because they're all virtual. That's where I went to seminary. That's where my friend Jim Zangmeister went, who does all these short little great videos. My son went there as well. A lot of people I know have gone to SES. It's a great place to go to school and learn this kind of thing. So check out SES.edu. Actually, uh, or let's, let's get back to the story here at Michigan State. So I, I, I explained this, and the atheist was unmoved. He said, well, that doesn't, that doesn't, free will doesn't explain everything. I mean, there are things that happen that have nothing to do with free will, like natural disasters or babies dying or this kind of thing. And I said, okay, sir, good question. Uh, in order to discover whether something has a purpose, some evil event has a purpose, we have to know the purpose of life. Because if there is no purpose to life, you can't see if there's a purpose to things that happen in life. You need an overall purpose to know. And so I asked the audience that night, what's the purpose of life? And since I had just gone through the evidence that Christianity was true, I went right to the scriptures for the purpose of life. Now, when you think about this, ladies and gentlemen, what is the purpose of life? Why are we here? Well, I think Jesus told us when he was praying to the Father in, in uh, John 17, he says this. He's praying to the Father for us. He says, this is eternal life that they, meaning us, he's praying for us believers, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. In other words, the purpose of life is to know God, not just intellectually, but personally. I mean, even the demons know that God exists. That's what James says, right? He says, the demons know that God exists, but they tremble. We're not just talking about intellectual knowledge. We're also talking about knowledge of him personally and accepting what he's done for you and loving him. Not just knowing him, but loving him. And so Jesus says, this is eternal life, to know God. And of course, in the Great Commission, he says, we need to make him known too. That's why we're here. So... How does this help us understand why evil occurs? We're going to talk to it right after the or talk about it right after the break. You're listening to Frank Turek filling in for Dan Celia today. The show is called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. That's the podcast as well. We're on the American Family Radio Network and we're back in two minutes. If there is a good God, why is there evil? Why does he allow it? That's what we're discussing here on this broadcast today. You're listening to Frank Turek filling in for Dan Celia, who is getting better, largely because of your prayers. Keep them coming. Hopefully he'll be back here soon. Uh, Let's go back to our discussion. And by the way, our our website is crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. Uh, We also, I want to mention... Uh, deal with this issue quite a bit in a brand new book that's coming out. My son and I have just written. My son is a graduate of Southern Evangelical Seminary, as I am, even though he's a major in the in the Air Force right now. 
Uh, we wrote a book called Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. Now, this book does not come out until May, but if you go to HollywoodHeroesBook.com and pre-order the book, we're going to send you the entire audio version for free. And this book deals a lot with the question of why does God allow evil and how do we overcome it? And it turns out that many of these superhero movies that you watch, the heroes in the movies are actually pointing toward the ultimate hero. Who's the ultimate hero? Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate hero of the real world, and all these other heroes, people like Captain America and Iron Man and, and, uh, and uh, the Lord of the Rings series and Star Wars and Batman and Wonder Woman, all, all of these heroes in all of these movies are actually fighting evil and pointing toward the ultimate hero. So if you want a fun if you want a fun way to get your kids or even your adults interested in Christianity by watching movies, then check out the book Hollywood Heroes: How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. Again, it doesn't come out till May 3rd, but if you pre-order it and go to just go to the book Hollywood Heroes uh, book.com go to the website hollywoodheroesbook.com and you'll see all the details there we'll send you the audio version for free so let's get back now to our discussion we're, we're, we're trying to figure out now what's god's purpose for evil we know it doesn't disprove god evil doesn't and we were just pointing out that really the purpose of life is to know god in a relational way and to make him known here's the problem knowing and growing in god often requires pain as C.S. Lewis famously said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Yeah, sometimes you only look up when you're on your back. Now, if you're thinking right now about your own history and you're already a Christian, I want to ask you a question. Did you come to faith at least partially through pain and suffering? Or... Have you grown in your faith partially through pain and suffering? Have you grown closer to Christ by going through pain and suffering? When I ask live audiences that question, I get about 20 to 30% saying, yeah, I came to faith through pain and suffering. I get nearly 100% saying that they've grown and become more like Jesus through pain and suffering. And by the way, this is what the scriptures teaches, you know. James, the half-brother of Jesus, the very second verse of his little letter he wrote, he says this, my brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Do you count it all joy when you're going through various trials? I know I don't. But James is saying, yeah, do that. Why? Because the testing of your faith produces patience. Paul in Romans 5 says this, we also glory in tribulation. Time out. Do you glory in tribulation? I know I don't. But that's what Paul's telling we have to do. When we're going through difficulties, we ought to say, God, I'm going to trust you through this. I know there's going to be some good coming out of it somewhere. Why? Paul says, glory and tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. There's only two things you can have in life, ladies and gentlemen. You can either have hope or you can have despair. There's no in between. Do you have hope or do you have despair? Going through difficulty when you know there's a reason behind it can bring you hope. And this is important. Why? Because we need some difficulty in this life, in our fallen state. If we don't have some difficulty, we are going to have uh, not growth. We're going to regress. 
In fact, ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you this. What would happen to you if you got everything you wanted every time? If everything went your way all the time? I don't know about you, but I, I'd become even more selfish and more self-centered than I already am. I would become a self-entitled celebrity if I got everything I wanted every time. It would become all about me. Not, nothing about you and nothing about Jesus. It would become all about me, and I'd pitch a hissy fit if my water wasn't at 41.8 degrees when I got to an event. No, you don't want everything to go your way. Oh, you might want it, but you really don't want it. Because if you don't have difficulty, if you don't have obstacles in your life, if you don't have struggles, if you don't have people getting in your way, if you don't have people telling you no, if you don't have challenges, you're never going to grow. You're just going to regress. You're going to become more self-centered than you already are. I mean, think about this. Suffering develops character, and there are some virtues that can only be developed through evil and trial. For example, you can't develop courage unless there's danger. You're not going to develop perseverance unless there are obstacles. It's hard to develop compassion unless someone is suffering. You're not going to develop patience without tribulation. Now, ladies and gentlemen, naturally, I'm a very impatient person. In fact, I've been praying for patience for quite a while, and frankly, I'm getting tired of waiting for it. Look, don't ever pray for patience. If you do, things are going to go wrong that day. Well, you got to pray that you get more patient, but just be ready. Everything's going to go wrong that day. Every line you get in is going to move the slowest. Your transmission's going to fall out of your car. Things are, people are going to get in your way. Things are going to get in your way. Things are going to go wrong, but that's how you develop patience. It's hard to develop character without adversity, and it's really hard to develop faith or trust without need. By the way, develop character without adversity. How do you ruin a child? You give the child everything he or she wants. That's why we call Children who get everything they want spoiled. What's spoiled about them? Their character is spoiled. You can't give a child or even an adult everything he or she wants. If you do, you will ruin them. Look, I know it's trite, but it's true. No pain, no gain. Actually, that's not true enough. It's more true to say more pain, more gain. In fact, Paul actually says this. In, in, in different language, in 2 Corinthians 4, when he's wrapping up a section, a brilliant section on pain and suffering, he says this. He says, for a light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When you're going through difficulty, keep your eyes on the eternal, not the temporal. The difficulty, the troubles that you're going through right now are achieving an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You say, what do you mean by that? This is a kind of a simple illustration of this. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't really get into the richness of the text, but I think it communicates the main point. I want you to imagine uh, someone who uh, was maligned as, say, a quarterback in the NFL, somebody who the fans didn't like, who didn't play very well most of the time, and he was maligned, and people said he couldn't do it. I want, to, I want you to imagine that this guy, though, has a good year one year and takes his team all the way to the Super Bowl and wins the Super Bowl. Now, after the Super Bowl's over, he holds up the Lombardi Trophy, but so does the third-string quarterback who didn't play a down all year. Here's my question. Did the... 
the guy who won the Super Bowl, the quarterback who actually played, did he enjoy holding up the Lombardi Trophy more than the third-string quarterback? Yeah, of course. Why? Because he actually enhanced his capacity to enjoy the reward by going through the difficulty. Look, people said he couldn't do it, but he was actually in the game. He went through all the pain, all the suffering, all the naysayers. He went through all the difficulty of achieving something that's hard to achieve. So by doing that, he enhanced his capacity to enjoy the reward. Whereas the third-string quarterback, although he's happy to be on the team, he's happy to hold up the trophy, he's happy to get the ring, he did not experience the same glee or the same joy that the first-string quarterback did because he didn't go through all the difficulty that enhanced his capacity to enjoy God forever or enjoy the reward forever. And in real life, this is the same kind of concept. You're enhancing your capacity to enjoy God, not only now, but in eternity by going through difficulty. In fact, Paul says this is guaranteed if you're a believer. He says this in in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Notice he doesn't say all things are good. They're not all good. Many things that happen are evil. But he's saying that these things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. They'll work out in the end. Now, back at Michigan State, I explained this in a shorter period of time than time that I did here on the radio. And uh, the atheist still said, well, that still doesn't explain it all. Yeah, okay, I can see how good can come from some evil. I can see how it can develop character and that kind of thing. But you still didn't answer the question, like, why does God allow, say, babies to die? They didn't do anything. And so I said, sir, that is an excellent question. I can tell you why babies die in general. And that is because we live in a fallen world. I mean, imagine if everybody was guaranteed, say, 70 or 80 years of life. What would that do to, our, to, to the way we live life? I mean, I think we would be reckless for 70 or 80 years. And then and suddenly we'd, you know, we'd, we'd start to, uh, to pay attention. But this is a fallen world where bad things can happen at any minute. I, don't, I know in general why babies die because we live in a fallen world. But I can't tell you why a specific baby dies. But I know why I don't know why. You see, I'm inside of time, but God is outside of time. And in fact, let me back up for a second. I know this has happened probably in the church you attend, where someone's baby gets sick, and the entire, the entire church pay, prays, and the baby does not recover the baby dies you go where's god what how, how can this happen there's an answer right after the break you're listening to i don't have enough faith to be an atheist with me frank turek on the american family radio network i'm filling in for dan celia don't go anywhere we're back in just two minutes Why does God allow evil? That's the question we're delving into today. Uh, You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek. I'm normally on on Saturday, but I'm filling in for Dan Celia today. Thank you for praying for him. He is getting better. Uh, Keep praying. We're talking right now about this question, why does God allow evil? And uh, the issue here that uh, we were talking about just before the break is, why would God God say allow a baby to die? And I, I said before the break that, well, we know why babies die in general. We live in a fallen world. Not everyone's going to live to 70 or 80 or whatever. Uh, 
but why does a particular baby die? We don't know why, but we know why we don't know why. Because, you see, God is outside of time. We're inside of time. We, we, we can't see the end from the, end from the beginning, but God can. And so what I discovered in researching this topic, the issue of evil, was a very powerful phenomenon that help, helps answer this question. The question is, why does God allow evil when we can't see any good coming from it? And the answer is something known as the ripple effect. What's the ripple effect? The ripple effect says that everything that occurs right now ripples forward to affect billions or trillions of other events and many, many people. In other words, what happens today right now is rippling. It will ripple forward into the future to affect other events in the future. Just like what happened yesterday is affecting what happens today. There's a ripple effect. Now, we can't trace all the ripples, but God can. Maybe a baby dying today ripples forward through a series of events that partially causes a great evangelist 500 years from now to rise up and save millions of people. We can't see how all those ripples connect, but God can. So we need to trust God. Even when we can't see the ripples, God can see the ripples, and that's why he might allow certain evil things to occur. We know why he allows certain things to occur in general, because he gives us free will. If he inter interrupted our free will all the time, we wouldn't have free will. But why does he allow things that we can't see good coming from evil? And I think the ripple effect is the answer. Uh, you can see the ripple effect, by the way, in some biblical stories. Sometimes you can see it in your own life, but in, uh, well, you can see it in your own life. Just, just think of all the ripples that had to occur for you to even exist. I mean, your parents had to meet. Their parents had to meet. Their parents had to meet. There are millions of ripples that have occurred to bring forth you right now, and you can't trace them all. But, but look at a, a story from the Old Testament. Joseph, in the Old Testament, is sold into slavery by his brothers, right? He's sold into slavery. And uh, he winds up in Egypt after going through a lot of difficulty. You know, he's thrown into prison and all these things. But then he rises to the third highest leadership position in Egypt. He puts aside a lot of grain and because uh, he thinks a famine's coming. And then the very family that sold him into slavery leaves Israel to go to Egypt to escape the famine. Joseph sees them. These are the people that sold him into slavery. What does he say as soon as he sees them? You dirty rats, you're going to pay for what you did to me. No, that's not what he does. That's not what he says. What he says is, and this is recorded in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In other words, the evil that Joseph's brothers did to Joseph rippled forward to actually help them, the evil perpetrators, later. If they hadn't sold Joseph into slavery, they might not have escaped the famine. So here's God doing, bringing good from evil. And that's what Joseph's saying. So while respecting free choice, God can bring good from evil. Now, something that one of the most profound things ever said on this topic was said by, by a Roman Catholic priest in Notre Dame in Paris 150 years ago. And let me set this up right. A lot of people will say, well, if God is all loving and all powerful, he would stop evil, but he hasn't stopped it. Therefore, God doesn't exist. What these people who say this are forgetting, they're forgetting another attribute of God. What's the other attribute of God? He's not just all loving. 
he's not just all-powerful, he's also all-knowing. In other words, he's also all-wise. So this Roman Catholic priest said this 150 years ago, speaking of why does God allow certain evils? Here's what he said. He said, if God would concede me his power for 24 hours, you would see how many changes I would make in the world. But if he gave me his wisdom too, I would leave things as they are, unquote. Yeah, God can see the end from the beginning. We can't. I, by the way, I've done this presentation recently at several churches, one in Maine and one in Seattle. And in, in, in both these places, I had people come up to me afterwards and say, you know, our baby died when it w- he was, the baby was very young. And uh, because of the baby dying, we became Christians. We, we, were not, we were far from God until that happened. It brought us to God, actually. In fact, there was a scenario uh, that occurred or an event that occurred in the very same room where I was at Michigan State that proved this point even more. Uh, Back in Michigan State, in the same event, after I was interacting with this atheist that I told you about earlier who was questioning me on why does God allow evil, there was a man, I don't know, 10 feet from him who raised his hand. So I said, yes, sir. And he said, I know of a woman who was raped and the rape nearly destroyed her. In fact, she became pregnant as a result of the rape. But she decided that she was not going to punish the baby for the sin of the father. She decided to bring this baby to term. This guy's voice began to crack as he's telling the story. He said, this woman gave birth to a baby boy. And that baby boy grew up to be a pastor. By this time, he's crying in front of everybody there at Michigan State. The atheist is only 10 feet from him. And he says, this pastor grew up to bring a lot of people to Christ and a lot of people actually to become disciples of Christ. And this baby boy grew up to be a pastor and that pastor is me. And then he looked over at the atheist and he said, if my mom can bring good from evil, so can God. And I said, you're dismissed. I mean, what else could I say after that? This guy had a better explanation than I had. He was given a perfect illustration of the ripple effect. So the atheist ran out of the room right after I said, you're dismissed. And I went up to this guy and I said, hey, where are you from? What's your name? And he said, my name's Gary Bingham. I'm a pastor in Marion, Indiana. He had driven up to Lansing, Michigan that day to hear the seminar. And I said, well, how's your mom doing? And, she, and he said, well, she's doing a lot better now than she was earlier because four years ago she became a Christian. And I said, well, please tell her that the ripples she sent forward not only obviously have changed the world through you, they continue to change the world because everybody here in this auditorium tonight has heard that story. It's rippling forward right now. And it's even rippling forward more now because I put it in the book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. So if you go to the... the If you go to the chapter on evil, you can read about this story. So, God has reasons for allowing evil to occur. Now we got to deal with the final question. What's God's solution to evil? Why does he allow it to continue? You know what God's solution to evil is? He took evil upon himself. 
His pain can be our gain. In other words, we can, if we accept Christ, we can have our sins forgiven because all of our punishment was put on him. It's not put on us. It's put on him. So here's the only true instance where a completely innocent person has been treated completely unfairly because he's only the completely innocent person in history. All the evil due to us was put on him. And so God takes our punishment on himself. That's what the Christian story is all about. And you don't, therefore, achieve your identity in Christianity. You receive your identity. You know, Christianity is the only worldview where you don't achieve your your identity. Look, if you have to achieve your identity, number one, all the pressure's on you. Number two, there's always somebody that can do it better. Number three, if you put your identity in some sort of ability you have, like or some sort of job you have, or some sort of person you love, what happens when the job is gone, when the person's gone, when the ability's gone? What happens? You're no longer a person? You have no identity? No, you don't achieve your identity. You receive your identity. This is why an eyewitness of Jesus, a man we call John, who wrote a biography, we call the Gospel of John, That's why he says he has given you the right to become a child of God by accepting the free gift that Christ has provided. Now, if you don't want that gift, that's fine. God is not going to force you into heaven against your will. If you don't want Jesus now, you're not going to want him in eternity. So what does God ultimately do about evil? First of all, he takes it upon himself and he accepts anybody who wants to be forgiven into his kingdom. If you don't want to be forgiven, if you want to be separated from God because you want to do your own thing, then God is not going to force you into heaven against your will, and you will be quarantined in a place called hell. That's God's ultimate solution to evil. As C.S. Lewis famously put it, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. God is not going to force you into heaven against your will. You're going to be separated from God. And being separated from God means being separated from the source of love, goodness, beauty, and truth by your own choice. Even God can't steer a parked car. Even God can't force free creatures to love him because by definition, love must be freely given. So you have the opportunity to accept what Christ has done You have the opportunity to escape evil once and for all. Are you going to take it? That's up to you. If you've accepted Christ and are following him, then you will be with him and the loved ones that you know who have accepted Christ. But no one is going to be forced into heaven against their will. God will quarantine evil. That's his ultimate solution. All right, friends, great being with you. I'm Frank Turek filling in for Dan Celia. Check out our website, crossexamined.org, and this podcast called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Don't forget, we'll have Max McLean on tomorrow, the real C.S. Lewis, the current C.S. Lewis. All right, see you next time. God bless.